Welcome to Marketing Tales with Chris Raposo, a podcast created to spotlight and highlight marketers, tell their stories, and share their knowledge with those interested in all things marketing. If you're interested in more than just the cut and dry strategies and tactics and want to learn more about the human side of his guests and how they got to where they are today, then this show is for you. It looks like did you guys empower your employees to go out there and build those relationships. So how do you how do you do that and how do you encourage that and how do you find the right people to do that? So I think you I think you asked the right question, which is how do you find the right people to do that? Uh, and how do you encourage that also? So there are a lot of companies that I see that try to force it. You shove it down people's throats or you'd be like, okay, well, enablement is all about uh, employee advocacy platform. Great, we got the platform. This should be easy. Come on, people, go share shit. Doesn't work that way. Um, really, in my mind, what it comes down to is, and this is where we talk uh, uh, the concept of the referral flywheel. In the middle is culture. A big part of culture that I think is forgotten is the company vision and strategic narrative. People that come to work for you need to be excited. Again, thinking about relationships. Step one is getting them excited. They need to be excited about what you do, what work they're going to do for you. Now, then you got to get over the aspect of, well, I don't want to be in front of a camera. I've never posted on LinkedIn before. I've never posted on TikTok before, whatever it is. I don't know how to do this. So how do you encourage that? Well, step one is leadership has to do it first. If your CEO is not doing it, but is expecting everybody else to do it, not going to work. And then it's showing people the right mindset, showing people the results that can happen, showing them and helping them understand the benefit to them, not to your organization. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Tales Show with Chris Raposo. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Mike Grinberg. Mike, welcome to the show. Chris, thanks for having me. So Mike is a part of the Proofpoint company. He's actually the founder and CEO of Proofpoint. And if you guys remember, I had Joseph Lewin and John Peel, also Proofpoint guys, on the show previously, and they shared such good nuggets. So I figured, why not have the founder and CEO on as well? So Mike graciously agreed to come on the show, and I'm really grateful for that. So did a little bit of research on you, Mike, and I saw that you have a business degree and, and marketing degree, and you founded your company, Proofpoint Marketing, in 2016, and you basically worked your entire career in marketing. What? When did you know you wanted to get into marketing, and what do you love about marketing? Uh, so the funny story is, I guess I, I didn't. Uh, actually, I, I had a I had a double major in college. It was graphic design and and uh, marketing, and the marketing was uh, was meant as a backup. So the uh, my parents had paid for school, and I I wanted to be a graphic designer. I wanted to do art and be creative and all that. And they said, well, that that's great. This this doing pictures on the computer thing is is all fun and all, but just in case you may want to get like a real degree if you want us to pay for school. So I'm like, all right, what's the closest thing to graphic design I can think of that's not going to absolutely bore me to death. And I would decide on business school. And here we are. So I got a marketing was not really the plan. Uh, but I quickly realized that number one, I wasn't that great of a designer. I was okay. I was okay. You know, I like 
the last design project I ever did, I actually designed all our wedding stationery and logo and all that kind of fun stuff. We were just digging through some boxes the other day and I found it and it was, it was okay. It was fine. But I was not like, there were people just in my graduating class that were way better than I was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, that's just, I can't compete with that. And then I also realized after doing some internships that it's just the, the subjective nature of the design profession was just not for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd fallen, I, I hadn't, one internship I had was like sort of a mix of digital marketing and had some like design for like email and things like that, but also got me into things like paid search in the really, really early days, mm -hmm. Google ads and uh, back when like overture ads were still a thing for anybody who remembers I'm dating myself, uh, all that kind of fun stuff. So, and then from there on, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. I like this. Let's do this thing. And here we are. Tell us a little bit about Proofpoint Marketing and what you guys do. So we are a relationship-led growth consultancy, and that's a a, a go-to-market motion that we have. I don't know if pioneered is the right term, but we're definitely, uh, I would say, at the forefront of developing the frameworks and whatnot for it. And really the idea is that relationships and referrals are actually much more scalable than people think. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies, especially in like the professional services space in like manufacturing and uh, industrial, um, they're, they're generally very well established. They grow up to a certain point, they plateau and they usually grow through, you know, what I would call like a mix of reputation led and sales led motions right they do they do great work they build good one-to-one -one relationships but that can only take you so far they scale to a certain point where they can really what they're doing pretty much just replaces natural churn that exists in their type of business so they plateau and then they go oh well i guess we got to do real marketing and then they get into you know seo and lead gen and paid search and uh, all that kind of stuff and it doesn't work. And they start churning through and pivoting, et cetera, et cetera. So what we have is a really a framework and a solution to help them scale the things that actually work and the way that they've built their business likely over the last 10 to 20 years, but they don't realize how it can actually scale for them. So it's about uh, building quality relationships across the entire ecosystem rather than just focusing on you know, direct sales relationships with uh, decision makers, which is usually what they do. So you said you touched on professional services there. I worked in a professional services industry for about eight years at a law firm, and I can attest to that. We had those rainmakers that brought in all the referrals, but then that dried up and then they pivoted to Facebook ads, just pumping out those Facebook ads all day long, you know? So yeah, definitely you want to keep that relationship growing and building. And it's what we're going to focus this episode on today as well. Like you yeah, said, really quick, one, one thing I think it's important to call out is it's not a silver bullet per, per se, and it's not for everybody. So like, even like, I don't like working with law firms. I did that a little bit in a past agency and I just didn't enjoy it. So we don't work with anybody like that, but from what I know of that industry and just other professional services, there are more transactional type businesses that exist. Like 
again, if you're a personal injury law and things like that, you could get away with probably running, you know, uh, bus stop ads and Facebook ads and things like that, because that's sort of a crap. I, I just got in a car accident. I don't know anybody. I need somebody. It's a spur of the moment. Like who can I find? Right. You're, you might reach out to friends and still ask for a refer, referral recommendation, but the, realistically, that's like if you don't, you might not have any friends that have had a serious accent where they needed a lawyer. So yeah. who are you going to ask? You're just going to go to Facebook or you're going to go to Google or whatever. So I think there are services industries where the more traditional quote unquote lead gen models that works extremely well. Okay. So at proof point marketing, you believe that marketing's job is to build relationship at scale. How do you refine a strong business relationship and what are the key elements to that? So the things to look at, um, like the outcomes that you would want is shorter sales cycles, mm -hmm. lower cost to acquire and uh, better profit margins. That last one is the piece that's I think is almost always forgotten mm. because everybody focuses on top line revenue where in reality you at least al along with it you should be looking at profitability and it's something marketing can help with and this is where the relationship led idea and framework and motion really are powerful because if you've built a relationship they're going to be much more committed to what you have to offer, right? They're going to be likely bought into your way of thinking. They're going to be bought into you as a person or a team. They're going to be bought into and invested in making it work. There's going to be relationship is two-sided, right? Versus, you know, um, take the PLG approach, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with it for software companies. Like it's, it's a great, go to market motion for, for many companies. But on that end, there isn't really a relationship being built per se. Your goal is to get them to love the software as much as they possibly can and get them to become super users, which you can argue is a relationship type uh, thing. But how invested are they? Mm -hmm. Right, There is no person on the other end of it. So, and when you're a services business or, or a manufacturing business, or a you know, med device company that requires an in-person thing, that's very personal. So that relationship is required, which again, if you can build it in the right way, they're more bought in, which means they're going to stick around through some difficult times. They're more likely to, mm -hmm. which means your LTV is going to be higher. They're going to invest more over time. They will likely, uh, and then on top of that, they'll likely evangelize it. They're more likely to evangelize it. Yep. In which case that's referral revenue and things like that. So um, the, from a metrics perspective, I'd be looking at things like, obviously the obvious ones like pipeline and revenue and whatnot. I'm not saying you shouldn't measure those, but the more unique ones that we would look at, I would say are specifically referral revenue as both as a percentage and net increase as a percentage of total and net increase and then profit margins. Can you share an example from, from your own experience since you've been in business for about six years or more where building strong relationship directly impacted your business success? I mean, 
a ton, right? There's, um, uh, we've had, well, let me, let me start at the basics, I guess. The, pretty much all of our early clients, whatever, six years ago, were personal relationships that we had built in our prior careers. They had been either past clients or a lot of them were past clients at like other agencies that we had worked at, uh, you know, things like that. We even had uh, one of our, like in early stages, what became our largest client for a period of time was a client that I had personally worked on at a prior agency who I'd kept a really great relationship with after I left and they became too small for them. So like, hey, you know them, they know you, they trust you, we trust you. Do you want this? Yeah, yeah, let's do it, right? So uh, that that's a really simple one. We've had um, a number of clients that we've worked with as they've transitioned in new roles. They brought us in, you can argue that's reputation, but that's also relationship. Um, we've had referrals from other agencies and other consultants just through our us building relationships. And there, most of these are, some are more formal partnership relationships, some are very informal. Um, it's just like, hey, we like you, we trust you, we know what you're doing, we don't do this, here you go. Um, we've had referrals from past employees. We've had referrals from past uh, job candidates. I talk about that example qu uh, quite often because it's a, an uncommon um, uh, revenue stream, if you will, if done right. Uh, so anyway, that, those are just a few of the examples. Yeah, I, I got an example about that as well. The technology company that I work for, we specifically or almost specifically work with hired institutions and we sell content management systems. So some of the webmasters or the directors of marketing that were at one institution moved to another one and then brought our CMS with them because we built that relationship with them while they were customers, right? So you don't want to just build that relationship until you get them in and then just ghost them and let them run as they please, but always keep building the relationship, even though they're already part of your company, right? Exactly. And I mean, I think that the thing that is often forgotten in marketing in general is most traditional marketing motions and tactics and strategies completely ignore the psychology of relationships and how relationships are built. Mm -hmm. So a common one, which you mentioned is, well, you have to keep building a relationship after the sale is made. Well, what does that look like? Well, even if you've done your damn best job making that sale and you've been a great consultative salesperson and you've really done your research, you've given them the best solution that you believe is the right one for them, all of those things, at some point, something's going to go wrong and they're going to start being skeptical of what well, did I make the right choice or a new person's going to come in, like maybe the person you sold to leaves and a new person comes in. They go, well, was this the right choice? I've never heard of these people or this company or I used to work with another CRM or whatever it is uh, or CMS. Uh, is this the right? Should we be using this? Right. They're, they're skeptical of what you offer and then they're going to question it. So mm -hmm. your job is to get them over their skepticism, to get them excited again about you as a person, about your team, about your product, all this stuff. And that just keeps going. It's like, you know, the, the, the example I always like to give is, uh, you know, the most important personal relationship you have, which is with your significant other, whether it be 
girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, husband, wife, whatever, right? Um, it doesn't stop once the marriage happens. For that matter, it keeps going because if it doesn't, you're likely getting divorced, right? Like you have to keep keep them excited. Like it's these micro touch points for lack of a better word. Yep. Right. And like uh, it's forgotten, I think, both on the front end of the sale and on the back end of the sale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to keep pursuing <laughs> that. As in other words, you have to keep dating, right? And keep yeah. like investing in that relationship because if you don't water that relationship, like you said, it's going to die. Yep. In what ways does uh, technology assist with managing and managing and scaling business relationships? Do you use um, like stuff like uh, channels like Slack to keep engaged, email? What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at a, uh, in the grand scheme of things, you know, when we talk about marketing jobs to be relationships at scale, the at scale is where technology helps, right? Mm -hmm. I think we're where the companies that are struggling that have plateaued like we talked about they're still thinking about relationships and referrals in this more traditional one-to-one -one type way mm -hmm. right and the at scale pieces we have at our fingertips at our disposal all this technology that allows us to talk to people at scale and communicate to them at scale and build relationships at scale so i mean it's Social media really is what we're talking about for the most part. And that, again, that could be Slack communities, that could be LinkedIn, that could be Facebook, that could be whatever channels are the right ones for you. It could be Reddit or Quora if that's where your people live, right? It's it's podcasts, it's uh, events, all these things that you can, I hate to use the word broadcast because that's more megaphone type stuff, but get in front of many people at the same time, but then from there, be able to pick out and build these, turn the one to many to one to few to a one to one. And that's where the technology helps until a certain point. Mm -hmm. um, where I personally refuse to use technology is to automate communication for the most part, outside of like certain email announcements and things like that. I actually think most of the ways that new automation and like generative AI technology is being used today are the lowest value from both an economic and a social perspective. Mm. Because they oftentimes, they yes, they you save time as the communicator, but, but you're also dehumanizing the communication process, which takes away from the relationship you can build. That's my personal opinion, right? I'm I'm not saying you can't or shouldn't use any AI. Like sure. we do in certain very specific things like podcast production as an example, like there, you know, or uh, uh, ideation or whatnot, but there's not a single message that I sent that is AI generated, not a one. Uh, I don't do email sequences or LinkedIn sequences and any of that stuff. Um, that's just not how we operate. And the businesses we work with don't need that because when you're selling half a million to $5 million consulting engagements, you don't need to reach out to 20,000 people. You need to reach out to maybe a thousand at most. Okay. So, so how do you 
maintain that personal touch in relationship building while using automation tools. Like you just said, you're not going to shoot out like 20,000 emails at one point at time. So how, how, how do you go about that? Again, I think it's really in our business and again, the company, the types of companies we work with, it's really about, you know, the cliche of like deeply understanding your customer. Right? Mm -hmm. Who is it? Who are they? But that's more than just firmographics. I generally ignore demographics. You know, it's the, the usual, like the, the memes that you see of like, you know, King Charles and Ozzy, like <laughs> yeah. demographics are the same kind of thing. Um, firmographics are important. Like, you know, again, you know, for us, for example, it will be, it's a company of usually between 15 to 25 million in revenue that has stall. Well, actually that that's for later, you know, uh, we're looking at, you know, founders and marketing leaders and sales leaders, uh, you know, things like that. That's firmographics. Great. Um, but then you really need to understand the psychology and the trigger events, meaning mm -hmm. what is happening on their end. Usually, again, what we see for ours, because that's the easiest one for me to describe, right? They're seeing consistent uh, churn in their marketing resources, right? So you can look and you can see, all right, well, it looks like they've gone through three marketing directors in the last year. They're experiencing a problem in a variety of ways. And we can, I'm not going to go into that because that takes us on a tangent, but right, they are, so they're, they're churning marketing resources. Um, you can see their growth plateau, right? LinkedIn sales navigator shows you, usually you see headcount plateau and things like that. That's usually a good indicator, right? Um, you can look at some other content to understand what they're struggling with, you know, all, all these types of things. So it's the, the psychology behind, are they experiencing a pain and a problem that you can acutely address? Mm -hmm. Because if not, then yeah, you can still get in front of them and they might be the right firmographics and you can get them into the, you know, your top funnel or whatever, but trying to sell to them doesn't make any sense. So since we're on the topic of demographics, how do you segment a growing customer base to maintain relevant communication? So again, I think it's that. It's really going deep and understanding who the various stakeholders are. Um, and one of the key things in relationship like growth that we talk about is that's often forgotten is like looking at the full ecosystem, right? So it's not just the decision makers within your target accounts, but it's internal influencers and external influencers, right? So if you think about sources of referrals, I mean, I just mentioned a couple of generally uncommon ones, meaning your recruitment pipeline can be a source of referrals for you if you have the brand and culture infrastructure in place that makes it clear what you do, gets people excited about what you do and all that kind of stuff. Um, past colleagues is another one. Um, obviously there's the former referral partners, but then it's like tangential uh, organizations and influencers, right? So if you are whatever, uh, selling say, um, Wealth management services, accountants are a pretty straightforward one, right? But then uh, real estate agents becomes one. Actually, for that matter, an example I like to talk about, some of the best people, uh, examples that really, really understand this are real estate agents. 
I'm a really good friend of ours. We were talking to them, whatever, a couple months ago. And we just happened to be talking about business and like, yeah, you know, we have partnerships with wealth advisors and moving companies and uh, mortgage brokers and um, wealth advisors. And I'm trying to remember what else, like art dealer, because they, they deal in, you know, slightly higher end real estate, not like top, top, but, you know, so they're the ones that really, really understand their customer and the entire ecosystem. And they build these relationships in what you would generally think of as like, well, why am, you know, even like moving companies, a lot of real estate agents don't think about, but it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, so once you have them segmented and I touched a little bit earlier on the two guests that I had previously, Joseph and, and John, as well as when I worked in a professional service industry in a law firm that you had these specific rainmakers, but it looks like did you guys empower your employees to go out there and build those relationships. So how do yep. you, how do you do that? And how do you encourage that? And how do you find the right people to do that? So I think, I think you asked the right question, which is how do you find the right people to do that? Uh, and how do you encourage that also? So there are a lot of companies that I see that try to force it, right? They see that it works for somebody else or maybe even somebody internally has tried it. Like, oh yeah, well, everybody's got to do it. Everybody do it. Here's how I did it. Just go. You shove it down people's throats or you'd be like, oh, okay, well, enablement is all about a employee advocacy platform. Great, we got the platform. This should be easy. Come on, people, go share shit doesn't work that way. Um, really, in my mind, what it comes down to is, and this is where we talk, uh, the concept of the referral flywheel, um, which if you want me, I can pull up a slide if you want. I totally don't have to, but in the middle is culture. In the very middle of that flywheel is culture. And, what I, and culture is this fluffy, weird thing that if you ask somebody what it is, everybody gives you a different answer. Right. And the typical thing is like, well, you know, culture is not just, you know, ping pong tables and half day Fridays and, and beer. Yes. But it's also not just benefits and uh, off sites and things like that. A big part of culture that I think is forgotten is your the company vision and strategic narrative. Mm. Mm -hmm. people that come to work for you need to be excited again thinking about relationships step one is getting them excited they need to be excited about what you do what work they're going to do for you and i'm not talking about like they have to be passionate or this needs to be their the thing that fulfills them like that's all bullshit but they need to be legitimately excited about what they're going to be doing yep. at least for a period of time for what as long as they're there working for you they need to be excited so is your vision clear? Is it interesting? Is it exciting? And then are you looking and finding the people that are excited about it? Mm -hmm. So that alone gets them in a state of mind where they're going to want to talk about it. Now, then you got to get over the aspect of, well, I don't want to be in front of a camera. I've never posted on LinkedIn before. I never posted on TikTok before, whatever it is. I don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And even like seasoned marketers, that are really good at strategy and things like that. A lot of them never did it and want to. Mm -hmm. So how do you encourage that? Well, step one is leadership has to do it first. If your CEO is not doing it, but is expecting everybody else to do it, not going to work. Now, obviously in larger companies, you can maybe get away with, but somebody in the leadership team needs to be leading the charge. 
yep. and not leading the charge by saying, hey, everybody, let's go do it. It's just putting in the reps, getting on the field, you know, all that sports analogy stuff. Um, and then it's showing people the right mindset, showing people the results that can happen, showing them and helping them understand the benefit to them, not to your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's the actual tactical enablement part. I think where people go wrong is, well, it's the uh, employee advocacy platform. I actually think that all the employee advocacy platforms have done is just create a bunch of noise. Yeah, I think that's a bad piece of technology for the most part, mm-hmm. especially when it's not paired with everything else I've mentioned. So if you've got a a company that doesn't have a clear vision that people can get behind, if you're not finding people that are getting behind it, and if you haven't made them excited about the work they're going to be doing, the best you can expect is they're going to reshare your boring content that you're already putting out there, which just adds to the noise. If even, if they even do that. If even, exactly. And they don't really want to, but you've probably made it, maybe it's part of their compensation, maybe it's part of their review, annual review and it's it's just all creating a bunch of reluctant activity yes which which shows so that. what we have built and again I'm not trying to sell the service necessarily but I, we've we found the problem internally like we've had really amazing people we have a small team but we have really amazing people that really know their stuff that we know that this would benefit them and it would benefit us mm-hmm. but they were really reluctant to do it no matter the amount of training we did no matter how much Gabby and I would be out there, Joseph as he came in, other folks as they came in, no matter how much they were out there doing it, these people still felt, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have the time. I don't see the value, whatever, right? So we built the uh, a framework and a process to get over the hump. Here, the two main issues are, I don't know what to put out, what to put out there. And I'm afraid to get in front of the camera. And I'm afraid to be made uh, be made a fool kind of thing like people what are, what are people going to think so more than 50 percent of the battle is what am i going to put out there so really what we do is we use a platform called at least as of right now a platform called story prompt and we have uh monthly strategy sessions with each person what what are you what are you an expert in what are questions you're hearing consistently from, in our case, clients and things like that? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to tell people? That kind of thing. And then we give them prompts through story prompt asynchronously. They record the video, which then allows us to post-produce it, write some copy for them. There is some you know, AI stuff involved in some of the drafts and things like that. A lot of that process is actually automated. We do some editing, whatever, and then they get delivered to them here's some content you could just put out. All you gotta do is copy paste. Yeah. Okay. Right. And it works. Like we've got uh, one of our director of operations who is now excited to do it. And she's like excited to tell our clients that she's was also skeptical and you know, whatever. So that's, I've, I've given you a very roundabout answer, but that that's how we gotten around that. And that's what we're, that's how we're trying to help our clients. Yeah, I love that insight. I've not heard of story prompt and I've <clears throat> I've overcome the fear of speaking in front of a camera. I've overcome the fear of um, publishing, posting on LinkedIn. But sometimes I'm like, what should I write about? I'm like, I want to write 
something every day on LinkedIn. But sometimes I'm like, what am I? What what should I share today? So I I forget. You know, I, I can't come up with anything, and I just don't want to add to the noise with something that doesn't make any sense. So a story prompt. I'm gonna have to look into that. Yeah, the other thing is, as much as possible, working content creation or at minimum ideation into existing workflows that already exist within the organization. So um, if you're running events, you're mm -hmm. running a podcast, you're doing these interviews, you might say something on the show that's like, oh, that's, I said something smart, cool, cut out the clip, write something about it, post it, right? That's mm -hmm. the, the obvious ones. Um, but these types of things also help you think through things, right? At least for me, I'm, I'm talking about me, me personally, right? And then I might go, you know, that conversation I just had with so-and-so, I let me let me dig into that and I'll just start writing about things and I'm like, oh, this could be interesting. Let me post it. Right. And then that just keeps uh, yep. going through. Uh team meetings, you can record them. Somebody inevitably is going to say something smart and you go, hey, remember that smart thing you said? Here's a piece of content for you. Nice. Right. Uh, you know, those types of things. That makes sense. That I like that. I like that a lot. I'm gonna have to implement it with our company meetings when we have those um coming up next. So maybe we get some good nuggets out of that. Yeah. So as we bring the episode to a close, um, you've been in marketing for quite a while now, had the business for about six years. What's one important lesson that you have learned over the course of your marketing career as it relates to relationship building that you can share? Well, I'll tell you one that I say pretty consistently and then um, see if I can find some, think of something different that I maybe haven't said in the past that might be valuable. So the one that I keep coming back to over and over and over again, the, the longer uh, I run the company and the, the, the more we do what we do is there's a piece of advice I got from a mentor of ours back in was it 2018, 2019. And it's simple advice, which is words matter, use them wisely. Mm -hmm. And it could seem simple and it is, but communicating in the right way at the right time is such a critical skill in a variety of ways to be able to build relationships, both internally and externally. You know, uh, knowing how to communicate with your employees, knowing how to communicate with your clients, knowing how to communicate with other stakeholders, with influencers, with whatever, right? Like, and it's not, it could seem like it's maybe even maybe manipulative, but it's not. It's really about understanding human psychology and relationship psychology and using that to influence your communication methods and words and all that kind of stuff, right? Like sometimes you got to stroke people's egos. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Another one is you really need to think of revenue as an outcome of relationships that's and again that's on our website and i you know people might hear that but the the in general i think people confuse outcomes with goals yeah. or outcomes with activities i mean sorry um and yes revenue is great but revenue isn't the activity revenue is the outcome of the activity that you're going to do so you need to find in your business where that revenue is coming from. And I feel like in a lot of businesses, there's this even cognitive dissonance that exists of if you ask people, 
what are you doing right now for your marketing? I mean, I have this conversation all the time with like CEOs and business leaders like, oh, well, you know, we're we're doing white papers and we're doing ebooks, we're doing SEO and we're doing this and that. And it's just like, was it working? Well, no, not really. You know, we're struggling, you know, this and the other. Okay. How have you built, like, where does your bill, where does your revenue actually come from? Like, where, where have you historically built? Oh, it's all, it's all referrals. Okay. Well, referral, where do, where do those referrals come from? Oh, it's, you know, past clients, it's partners. It's okay. So it's relationships. Yes. It's a complete cognitive dissonance of we're going to do this thing because this is what we hear. But in reality, we know that revenue comes from relationships. Yeah. So it's really like, I think, digging deep into yourself, if you will, and, and thinking through that. Yeah. There's that, I don't know what it's called, shiny toy object running after everything everybody else does. And everybody tells you to do like the white papers and the ebooks, the gated content. But if you only get a couple of downloads a year from that, <laughs> ebook that you spend 80 hours 120 hours on right is it really worth the investment or should you pivot to what i like to do is webinars uh thought leader thought leadership webinars with other companies to get in front of their audience and then you know build a relationship with them after the fact and provide value at first and continue to provide value and build a relationship mm -hmm. on that um yeah. I, I prefer that and i get a lot more out of it hundred percent. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think an important thing to call out is I actually don't have an issue with gated content as a concept. Uh -huh. I, I prefer to call it gated experiences instead. Mm -hmm. So like technically a webinar that you have to sign up for is gated just by its nature. Okay. So there's that, but there, there's other things. I think the, the thing that people need to ask themselves is would somebody want to start a conversation about this? I think that that mo if you look at most ebooks or white papers, nobody ever asked that question. <laughs> it's like at best, it's decent information. Yep. Yep. At worst, it's complete fluff that you could have found at, you know, searching for whatever industry 101 on Google, you know. Right. Or a simple blog post. Right. Or exactly. a couple of books. And uh let's talk about books. Uh, real quick, what are two yeah. books you recommend anyone should read to learn more about marketing or relationship-focused revenue marketing? So I was, books are hard for me. I actually don't read that many business or marketing books anymore, uh, but I was prepared. So the first one I think everybody will likely know, which is the mm -hmm. Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. The other one is one that I don't know a lot of people will know. And I actually don't read a lot of sales books, but Let's get real. Let's not play. Uh, by Mon uh, Calsa and Randy Illig is uh, another good one. So it really, it's a lot of the stuff in there is fairly straightforward, but it does specifically focus on the buyer seller relationship and how to develop it in, in the right way. I think so. Mm -hmm. Those are two that I like. Uh, I mean, honestly, for the for the most part, I don't. I don't know if they're books per se, I would really encourage people to think about relationship psychology. Think about how you how you've built your best personal relationships in your life. I think that's honestly the best the best way to learn this mm -hmm. because the same concepts apply. I don't care whether you're selling a five million dollar consulting project or if you're trying to go on a date with someone. Same thing. You got to get them excited. 
They're going to get skeptical. You got to get them over their skepticisms. They're going to question it to their friends or uh, colleagues or whatever. You got to get you got to get them over that. Understand who those people are. You got to get them uh, convinced, and you got to get them committed. And then you got to do that at every single touch point, and it just keeps going and going and going. It's like clockwork, predictable. Yeah, there's no. It's not a quick fix. You really got to in, get invested in that and nurture that relationship for the long haul. Yep. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show. Last question. How can people get in touch with you, follow you, or learn more about Proofpoint Marketing? LinkedIn's the best. I'm you know, pretty much the vast majority of our entire team is on LinkedIn, fairly active. So reach out to me or anybody there. Uh, otherwise, website's proofpoint.marketing. So check it out. We do also have uh, our uh, podcast, The Master Marketer, and we also run a bi-weekly uh, live show called Relationship Like Growth Live. That's where you can learn more about a lot of the concepts and ideas that really we talked about today. Yeah, I've uh, attended that live show quite a bit. I really enjoy it. So keep up the good work. Awesome. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Take care.